Welcome to episode four of Theater 33's podcast series, Building Play, made possible by support from Pioneer Trust Bank and Ronnie LeCrute. I am your host, Susan Coromel, the Artistic Director of Theater 33, a new play development company. Building Play is a podcast about the work we do at Theater 33 and features discussions with playwrights, actors, dramaturgs, and designers. You can subscribe to our series on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Alexa, iHeartRadio, and Pandora. Visit our website at www.theater33.org for more information about our summer season of new plays. Today's podcast is moderated by Stephen Alexander, who directed our last reading, Winberry Creek. Stephen will be joined by our dramaturg, Deb Vaughn, and our special guest is playwright Rachel Carnes. Rachel received the 2020 Oregon Literary Fellowship and had more than 50 productions in 2019 across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Asia, with recent invitations to develop her work at the William Inge Theatre Festival, the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts Playwriting Intensive, the Midwestern Dramatist Center Conference, the Mid-America Theatre Conference, the American Association for Theatre and Higher Education New Play Development Series, the Swanee Writers Conference, the Iverton Playhouse Women Playwrights Initiative, the Parsons Nose Theatre Women's Playwrights Series, the Cambridge UK Write On Festival, and the Samuel French Off Off Broadway Festival, where her award-winning play Partner Of was chosen. She is a recipient of the 2020 Oregon Literary Fellowship. Her play Practice House was a semi-finalist for the 2019 New Dramatist Princess Grace Award. Rachel is the founder and editor of Code Red Playwrights, a consortium of writers across the country responding to gun violence. And with that, please welcome Stephen, Deb, and playwright Rachel Carnes. Hi, thanks so much, Susan. Uh, This is Steve Alexander. I'm really happy to be back in the podcast forums with Theater 33. So today's topic, we're looking at given circumstances. That's a phrase that we use in theater a lot. I'll just, uh, it means different things to different Um, people that are in theater. For example, if you're an actor, a lot of times when we say given circumstances, that has to do with what is the baggage or the past or the history that a character has in their back pocket or is bringing on stage with them. For example, when Oedipus comes in at the end, he's got to have a reason to poke his eyes out and that's because he saw something off stage. Um, so that's part of his given circumstances <laughs> when he comes in. Um, but it often, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I said, I guess I could have used Hamlet. I was looking for something in common. Um, Romeo just had a breakup, for example, at the beginning of Romeo and Juliet. That's a great example. Uh, but that might mean something different for playwrights when we're talking about where does material come from and what are the given circumstances that you use through that. Um, what I'm thinking about Winberry Creek, I remember the very first question that we that I asked was, tell me about this place for mm-hmm. Winberry Creek. And all the actors were there, which was nice. Um, it, it, tell us a little bit about how that played into your creation of the project. Yeah, well, I'm an Oregonian. Um, I moved here when I was seven years old and grew up in Eugene and, you know, exploring nature, exploring uh, camping, skiing, hiking, 
uh, being out in the wilderness uh, growing up. And then when I moved back here with my own family, uh, I started to sort of rediscover what it was like to be an Oregonian out doing wonderful nature things. And I, I went back to a childhood stomping ground and I found it had really changed. I don't really want to call the place out uh, because I wouldn't want to <laughs> disparage them online. Oh, I but, think people might want to hear because uh, we may have been, are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, feel, I don't want to get sued. But <laughs> the, uh, the experience for me of going back as an adult with my own uh, little kids was this kind of incongruous moment because what in my mind had been this kind of ideal, this sort of little, you know, cluster of gnome cottages and kind of twinkly fairy uh, forest and sort of perfect picturesque nature experience had been kind of um, chopped up and remodeled. And I remember walking into the lodge that used to have uh, National Geographic's dating back to the 20s and all this kind of weird old pine furniture and this great big desk that felt worn down from all those zillions of Fisher people who had come up to, you know, buy a soda or whatever. All of that was gone and replaced with sort of chintzy cheap stuff from Home Depot. And it just set my teeth on edge. It made me so angry. <laughs> I just couldn't cope because I felt like it was emblematic of so much of what we see happening in our state all the time as, you know, as more and more of our wild spaces are encroached upon, as more and more of our communities uh, change and transform, especially if you're a longtime resident of Oregon, you can feel like, well, where, where's home? Where, where are the places we're going to preserve and we're going to keep? So Winbury Creek is set kind of in a place that is, is on its last legs. Um, it's, it's set in a, a little mountain cabin that is in a kind of fictitious version of the, um, the old resort that I just described. And when we find ourselves in scene one, we learn that these cabins are all going to be mowed down to make room for nice new condos. Um, and I think that that, oh, that could be like any place now. Any place now. Yeah, that's um, very You familiar. know, any community on the coast, any community, you know, in, in the mountains. I mean, now it's just bigger, better, newer. Um, one detail I remember from the resort we used to visit when I was a kid was walking in and seeing that those National Geographics had been replaced with a big satellite TV oh. and, you know, free Wi-Fi. And I just thought, who needs Wi-Fi? We're at the lodge. You're supposed to read National Geographic. Get yourself together. <laughs> you, know? you go to no escape fishing. reality and they give you Wi-Fi. Yes. Yeah. So for me, Winbury Creek is kind of about, I, I just had this moment of wanting to explore what it means to find yourself on the outside of a door where you're going to open up into a past that may not be what you remember that you've got some rose colored glasses on about certain things that happen, funny things or light things or, or, or things that were, um, you know, a, a place of connection. But then you may also open up certain rooms that you haven't visited in a while and you don't know what you're gonna find. So the geography of the place, centering it in this little cabin in the Cascade Mountains, felt very embodied to me as a as a writer i never stumbled over feeling like i didn't know where i was because i always had a sense of the sounds and the smells and the little details like staying up in the cascades gosh if you're trying to be a homemaker in one of those cabins you are battling dirt 
anyone who's stayed in one of those cabins knows you're just constantly sweeping if you care because the dust just comes in on your dogs on your kids it's just dust 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 and hopefully there's more than one pan hopefully yeah. no i mean but i think it's probably best to just not care but at some point i have to just go home because I can't stand it anymore. Cause I'm just like constantly covered with a little film of dust and dirt, <laughs> you know? <laughs> anyway, it's, it's just really um, special Oregonian place. You know, the high Cascade mountains, these volcanic lakes are very um, particular to where we are. And I wanted to spend some time near one of them through this play. It's, it's interesting. All that you say, I remember the, one of the first lines of the play is um, the how what is the uh, doors never used to have locks yeah, on them. There were never locks on the doors before. Right, it's right. The opening line, and that, I knew that that was where the characters were coming from. You know, that sensibility of why did we have to why did we have to change this? You know, why why couldn't it be the way that it was? And of course, things keep moving forward and things keep evolving and the future is not the present, it's not the past, but um, a little cabin is kind of like a, a home that maybe you visit periodically and you keep coming back to at different junctures in your life, whether it's your cabin or one that you rent. Um, many of us have the experience of, of going to some place over a span of time. And it's, it's an interesting thing to keep revisiting. Well, we're, you know, what was happening in our lives when we were here a year ago? Where were it's we? It's a time you know? capsule. Yeah, exactly. It's like that this cabin, the way that you talk about it in your own life and the way that it manifests in the text for these characters is it's this time capsule that nobody's unpacked for a while. And you, oh, I forgot I put that in there. What did that mean? Why was that so important that I chose to put it in this time capsule? And then what is kind of unearthed as you go back through those pieces of, of memory and experience? And how does that impact you in the now? Right. It's a yeah. lovely little metaphor. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly the, the arc that the characters are undergoing. I mean, they're revisiting their old cabins of their mind as well. And there's a lot of locks on those mines and the doors are hard to get open. And it's really dusty when they get inside. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Did, yeah. The, did, did the characters and the story, did they grow from the idea of the place or how did they how did those circumstances combine um, well i think the place kind of holds the characters you know but the characters will probably have this weekend um in some fashion no matter where they had gone uh i think the cabin kind of peels off um peels off a layer peels a scab away and sort of forces them to deal with each other um mm -hmm because it is so present the way Deb suggested, you know, that, that certain things remind them, bring to the fore their memories and so on. Um, but yeah, the characters have this sense of um, urgency that this was all gonna get opened. Time capsule is an interesting metaphor because it's, it is as if, you know, they open the seal on this cabin and it's like they're just agreeing to open up this pocket together of, of things that they haven't looked at. Because then we learn in the play, in the beginning of the play, that they haven't been back to this place for six years. And it had been a place that they had gone annually. So then there's this charge of, well, why? Um, so 
you know, as a writer, uh, I don't really have a plan when I get going, especially with something um, like Winbury Creek. I just found the characters on the outside of that door and I let them in and listen to them talk. And as they started to talk, then we found our way towards this inventory of what they, you know, why they were there, how long it had been since they were there before, and kind of what they needed out of the place. Um, and once we've established that, then they just kind of kept working uh, on their wants and needs, <laughs> usually opposite one another, usually very rarely aligning, <laughs> because that's how families are. So <laughs> it, it's a little bit like your character Emma talks about the um, the mountain madness. Uh, the, the reasons why people in remote cabins would murder each other. Yes. And you can see almost all of them begin to manifest. There's the potential uh, because these characters just poke at each other's buttons because they're in this kind of contained, enclosed yeah. space. Even though they're out in the wild, right? They all have different reasons why they are not adventuring out into the outside and really are stuck there in that cabin. Right. I mean, they could be taking walks or enjoying the day, enjoying mm -hmm. some fresh air and sunshine. And instead they're kind of cooped up mm -hmm. in the middle of all that, you know, potential splendor. So it's, it's interesting that they've sort of caged themselves like to do this work. And one of the fun things that I noted, because playwrights work in so many different ways and some are extremely planned out and they've got their flow charts and their, and their post-it notes and, index cards about all these things are going to happen. Um, but I think I commented on this at, at, at some point during the process that it reminded me a lot of what um, uh, August Strindberg, who was a, a Scandinavian playwright, one of the first realist playwrights, how he described writing a, a play. He said he, would, he was very scientific method man when it was first really kicking off in the late 1800s. And uh, he said he would take two characters usually a man and a woman that were married for way too many years, <laughs> put them into a Petri dish and let them live there and write about it. And when they got done with whatever conflict they were dealing with, he would take an eyedropper of some chemical of conflict and he'd put it in there and he'd see how the two characters react and he would write about that. Right. Um, and that was what was quite fun that I discovered with uh, working with Winbury Creek there were no, any of the discussions that we had on furthering the play all came from, they were all rooted in the actors themselves as mm -hmm. they were going through. They would have a question or they would say, this feels foreign or how do these two things jibe within me? Or this doesn't seem, uh, it seems like I would be able to do X, Y, or Z on something. They really became character driven. I, right. It's an interesting thing do, do just to, I mean, I don't think there's an answer to it, but with the actors that we had working in that way, and you as a playwright also working in that way, we think, is it fate that we just happen to have actors that were character driven with a playwright that's character driven, or maybe they were influenced by the way that you wrote? It's just a very interesting thing. But it did, it did jibe together well, I know, during It the really did. And, you know, I mean, I think that's what's so beautiful about the collaborative process, because by working, well, first of all, I want to give it to you and Deb for sort of creating a container of real um, trust and kind of safe communication and a feeling of open um, spaciousness to be able to talk 
freely about the work and to be able to kind of do that deeper investigation that actors are so good at. I mean, actors are really incredible, especially these three women. Um, but something that I love about working in collaboration with actors is their, their investment in the moments, beat by beat, line by line, they know their characters better than I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I get the words on the page, but if there's a broken impulse, if there's a place where, um, I don't know, the image that comes to mind for me is uh, a guy rope, you know, the, the, the rope that, um, that soldiers might use to, to go across a battlefield where it's all covered with mustard gas or whatever. I think it's a World War I term. So mm-hmm. you can't see, but you hold onto the rope. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what a playwright is trying to do for their characters so that each character can hold onto the rope from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And actors are so good at letting you know there's this moment where I let go of the rope for a minute and I don't really know where I am, <laughs> you know? They're incredibly attuned to having the emotional pulse. And it's so interesting to work with people like these wonderful actresses that worked on Winbury Creek because they have the capacity professionally to be able to vacillate between, does my character know what my character wants? Does my character know what my character needs? Am I doing something in opposition of one or the other? Like they don't have to be as concrete or as absolute mm-hmm. as maybe it looks on the page. They have the subtlety and capacity to do something more um, engaged than that. But when they have questions and ideas, it's like gold. Because as a writer, when you get to listen to them advocate for their characters and almost speak as if they are their characters, yeah. Yeah. If, you li- if you're attuned to it and you're like, your ears are open, well, they can just take your play so much further than you could ever do it alone. You know, and it's like having the quarterback carry the ball because they, they see where they need to go in a way that you couldn't see because they're looking at your play through the eyes of the character. Whereas I'm looking at the play momentarily through the eyes of each character line by line, but I don't get the luxury of just saying, this is my perspective. I am the, I am Mary. I am Emma. I am Kate. Instead I am playwright. And I'm trying to imagine what all of them are thinking and feeling. (laughs) So to that point about the thinking and the feeling, one of the, pieces that felt really special to me about this particular collaboration was that not only did was Steven a director that gave us a lot of space within the rehearsal period to do that thinking and that feeling and so I there it felt like there was a um sort of like a juicy luxury of time during those rehearsal periods I think a surprisingly short amount of it was surprisingly short so I'm I'm surprised to hear myself say that but I think Stephen you trusted the text and you trusted the performers that they were going to carry the emotional arc and that it didn't need to be micromanaged by Mm -hmm. you each moment and so you were able to give that space for the discussion and the working it through and then just let let the story be told But in addition to that, to this thinking and feeling piece that Rachel's talking about, we had three actors who were very skillful at dropping out of feeling as the character and into thinking as the actor, Mm -hmm. which then allowed Rachel this like instantaneous feedback of like, whoa, I just had this emotional moment as the character and now I want to 
intellect through with you as the playwright, how we can work that and work it into the structure. And so just watching those three performers move, make that transition. Think how many of us in our regular life can say that we're very seamless at moving between head and heart. Right. It's just, it's, it's That's remarkable. something many of us work our entire lives to be better at. And so we kind of got to witness this collaborative space. Steven held the space, the performers did the transition. And then Rachel, you had the listening ears to go back and mine that for all that it was worth. In oh, it's your so writing exciting. Process. I mean, there were moments where we were writing in real time. Mm-hmm. You know, like a collective right. group is kind of perseverating on this one yes. little hinge and point even, in the play. And, even, and, then, and people are like, what if it, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, yes. playwright Rachel's Let's like, Let's take this part this of the mind and move it forward because that <laughs> yeah. would make more sense for me as yeah. the character. Uh-huh. It's all good. I mean, it when you get to have those moments of clarity with the group, it it just it feels so exciting because oftentimes writing is a pretty lonely sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, right. it, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're kind of making changes and you're thinking, well, I hope this holds um, a, a colleague of mine that I just did a workshop with last month um, with the lighthouse workshop uh, in Denver. He's from Australia and he just sent notes on act two of Winbury Creek. Um, because we had only submitted the first acts of our plays for the workshop. So he'd not read act two. Anyway, he wrote me a a, a page of notes and it was wonderful to get the feedback. And something he said was, your play is like Jenga. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, my play is like Jenga. He said, I don't really want to fuss with anything too much or give you any comments on anything. Because I think if you pull one little thing out, then it could make something else tumble. He said, it's (laughs) delicate in that sense. You know, it's the way that it's structured. So intricately and I, I wonder if part of that might feed why these actors felt that sense of um camaraderie and kind of like let's get in here and 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 grapple with this this script a bit because it does kind of have this dynamic of back and forth back and forth mm-hmm. well here's the secret that I learned um the hard way and they call that graduate school Um, (laughs) because when I started directing it was all oh I have this vision I'm going to change the world and I'm going to make everyone see things in a different way and they'll say "Ooh, that belongs to Mr. Alexander that is his work and oh it was it didn't ever work that way I mean I did some great things but the secret is and this is the secret I think to any job as well is the people that are showing up to work with you they, they don't want to work for you. They don't need to just be told what to do. They have their own ideas that they're bringing forward. If you're a project manager on something and you have 10 people below, there's 10 different ideas, 11 if you count the project manager, that can work. If you just have the project manager saying it, well, I, then, for example, the, the show that broke my back, I literally got so sick because I was micromanaging so much. and I. Um, and there were just three actors. Uh, two of them I was all over because it wasn't working very well at all. When the performance came around, the third actor that I never paid attention to was the one that transformed more than I could ever have imagined. So the next show, I decided, why don't I oblige the people that said that they want to come and work for me? Why don't I oblige them to work? Mm-hmm. So that's the secret, is that the actors are not puppets. They're no. not, when, when you see a movie, you're not seeing Spike Lee's idea or um, Martin Scorsese's ideas alone. You're, the reason that a Meryl Streep and a Robert De Niro get hired over and over again 
isn't because they can pair it so well. It's because they're bringing just as much, if not more, to the table as the um, as the writing and directing crew has. Well, that's just the thing, and and I might actually, I mean, beyond our little team, um, I think that the audience for Theater Thirty Three should pat itself on the back, you know, for attending the reading and providing such incredible insight and comments in the chat. I mean, it, it's amazing to a writer to receive a few pages of direct feedback from an audience on, you know, what is working about the play, what takes you out of the play, what is the play about, what are the salient moments in the play. And again, with a play like Winbury Creek, I've had the opportunity to uh, develop it in a few different venues um, with readings and workshops. And at each moment, being humble to the group process and seeing where the responses are and seeing what people resonate with, seeing what confuses people, seeing where we might want to go. Each one of those things just advances it a little bit further down the field. Mm -hmm. and so when they talk about the development process for a full-length play, you can see why you know, I wrote Winbury Creek in a couple of weeks. I wrote it an hour a day over two weeks. And that's how long it takes to write a first draft for me of a play. There you go. There's a play. But then the development work, you know, that was back in October. And here we are in July. And how many steps has it gone through? Have you worked with How many other... drafts? I yeah, I'm just wondering, were there other... Were there other readings that you've had? Yeah, well, or? it was fun because I had a, um, I had a, I had a staged reading down in Southern California uh, with the Parsonsnos Theater in Pasadena. I had won their, um, their new play development contest last year. Um, my play Canopy was selected for a staged reading. They do mostly classic work, so they mostly do work by men because mostly classics are. Mm, male, <laughs> male writer. Printage, yep. um, but uh, I heard from the artistic director of the new play development series back in early fall, and she said, you know, we don't want to read 400 full-length plays again. Do you have anything that we could do? And I said, I'm working on this little play about three women in the cabin. It's um, almost done. It's about two-thirds of the way. So I sent her what I had and she said, great, let's book this for December. Please finish writing your play. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> that was pretty wild. So I went down to uh, Pasadena and we had a great time. We had a wonderful reading down there. I finished the play. Um, we read the play first draft, you know, um, and then I, I took it up to Acropolis Performance Lab in Seattle. Oh, sure. For uh -huh. another, um, another reading and development um, moment up there and then with COVID you know I I had submitted it uh to theater 33 and and hoped that you know maybe it would land this summer and I was so sad to hear that there might not be um you know the the opportunity like oh yay you're in and then oh what's gonna happen and so I was thrilled to see the transition to zoom and the kind of facing um, the given circumstances of trying to create theater in an era of a pandemic. Um, we're all doing our best to adapt. And I think in that adaptation, we're sort of creating some really nice new um, collaborative opportunities for and with each other that might not have occurred to us before um, COVID-19. I'm, I'm trying to find the 
positives where I can. And for me, the melting away of time zones and the kind of melting away of geographic distance is really kind of amazing. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm enjoying that a lot. There's a moment I had in rehearsal and I heard from uh, audience members as well, where because it's a different medium, I mean, you've got a computer, it is very different. We miss being able to have the live experience. Absolutely. Sure. The yeah. living, breathing, um, you know, when, when that's a little bit dangerous, we miss the ability to be able to do that with each other. Um, but there was a, a moment and, and I, we saw it also in the comments that were happening during the show and afterward that um, the, the, the drawbacks of Zoom seemed to disappear at some point. And we were right. still drawn into the humanity of the people being able to address each other. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you forget. I mean, if you're, if you're drawn in emotionally, you can forget you're in Zoom. You can just sort of relate to the emotion and the content, you know, the story. There's a focusing that happens, right? It, it makes me, you know, there's a, it feels right now like everything is happening on the micro and the macro level at the same time. And so on the micro level, as we're doing these performances over Zoom, everything is so immediate, right? You're framed up in your face and it's right there on your screen and it's so close, closer than we would be in, in a theater space together. And so that's been honed in. And at the same time, like our lives as the activities we would have normally gone about doing have also kind of fallen away and we've come into the focus many of us on our immediate housemates and family members and um what are the most important critical connections that we need to maintain right now because i can't just go out to dinner with a, a large group of people and so both those things are happening there's an immediacy and kind of a focusing in that has happened um and there is a, a benefit in that there's a lot to be learned from that and it doesn't mean we don't miss the broader focus that we once mm -hmm. had and likely will again to mm -hmm. some extent but there is a benefit to to that uh i'm doing like a telescoping motion i like that telescoping. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work well on a podcast no. <laughs> well, i want to loop back to something that you said earlier deb which was um honoring um steve's capacity to balance both the need of the actors and the need of the playwright in this process, because I think that that speaks to that sense of um, micro macro as well. Mm -hmm. um, it, what I really appreciated about engaging in the process with the team, one of the things that was so helpful and beneficial to me was that sense that we had the capacity and space to be playing with the text up to and including the day that we were, you know, locking it in, that it didn't feel like, okay, get it done, get it done. We got to get these actors on their feet, get them feeling. I mean, the actors were so responsive. And our, our amazing Maya who played Emma, she pulled out a new monologue, you know, that I we wrote. Joked, or we joked with them that they did some of their best work when you would hand them a brand new scene five minutes before rehearsal. And it started yeah. with the very first rehearsal. Remember we got on that first rehearsal right. and the, we had the wrong draft, not the most recent draft That's of the right. script. And right. the ending was completely transformed. So what the actors thought the ending of the show was. Yeah, that they'd they, already read a couple times. <laughs> totally different. And they yeah. agreed because they were willing to just be vulnerable like that, agreed to cold read the script from start to yeah. finish the new version. So they got to, we got to watch them unfold this new surprise ending for them mm -hmm. in the script. And that just kind of set the tone 
for the way that we worked the rest of the process. Cause Rachel, every night you would bring them some new piece of richness and Steven would say, are you ready to read it? And they would just go for it. Go and so we it. joked on, on the performance day that maybe Rachel should have just given them a new draft of the script <laughs> and let them cold read it right, because they were right. so, but it also speaks to how well they understood the characters yeah. and the given circumstances that they were able to play within that framework that had already been established. And so having that grounded context allowed that them to be successful with the new words they were given. Yeah. As I was unpacking um, the performance the next day with my husband and we were talking about the play um, and I asked him, well, what do you remember? You know, this was about 24 hours later, what stands out in your mind? And he said, well, that monologue at the end that, that Emma has where she's recounting the last night. And I thought, and I said, well, I wrote that Tuesday morning, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it, it needed yeah. to be in the play. And because this, I think this process, if I could encapsulate it in one word, I would say that this process has been like an invitation, mm. you know, that so often I think as writers, especially an emerging writer like myself, a new writer, um, we're looking for opportunities. We're looking for chances to develop our work. We're looking for a little foothold here or there. And to have a team say, go, 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 when it came to making, you know, thoughtful changes, additions, I think we added about four pages to this play during the process in the yeah. four oh, days. Yeah, I think, sure. I think yeah. it went from 106 pages to 113. Sounds so, right. you know, I mean, to someone listening, they might think, oh, what, seven pages, big deal. Well, that's like a big deal, <laughs> you know, to do that in four days with a group of people. And, and it's, it's, um, it's surgical. It's not just yeah. random. It's, it's making really kind of thoughtful insertions, um, uh, rearrangements, you know, developing things. One of the things that I wanted to um, touch on too was also, um, I had hesitancy about a larger Kate monologue in this play that we ended up calling the 12. The 12. That was right. kind of our, our shorthand for it, which I love. I love that uh -huh. we have like shorthand for different sections of this play. Right. And for those who haven't heard the, um, the, the play, 12 is a very fascinating number for Kate who has OCD and a number that has followed her around her whole life. And at one moment, probably a very, one of the biggest critical moments for her, she out of nowhere lists 12 reasons why she's feeling in that state, much, much to the surprise of the two around her as she starts listing, well, here's my first reason and number two, et cetera. So, and that was a monologue that was not in the reading that we got in December. I think it was the December right. draft. That came out. out of an earlier development opportunity and it came out of the feedback that people had said, we need to see Kate fall apart more. <laughs> we need to okay. see Kate hit rock bottom. And so it's that space of what does it look like if she kind of takes a departure. And yet when I heard it aloud, which was the first time hearing it aloud with this team, I had this, I mean, you can hear in my writing style, or if you tuned into the play last week, you, you hear, I like short and snappy. If something bleeds over from, if you looked at the play on the page, you'd see that it's just sentence, 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 sentence. Mm -hmm. There's there's barely any lines that are more than 
two sentences. <laughs> you know, that's, it's, that's it's very quick uh, and conversational. Very so this is a big fat monologue, which makes me as a writer kind of nervous. Like, have I earned this? Do I deserve to take this space for this character? And, and Steve, you really put me at ease and Deb as well, but you did because, you know, you shared this attachment to it, this sense of where it would go with the communication that could happen. Mm -hmm. And then as we imagine moving it onto its feet, I can just visualize the person playing Kate, taking that monologue from, you know, the foothills all the way up to Mount Everest Mm -hmm. in the span of a few minutes, how high could she go? You know, how far? Um, It was also one of those additions that when we, when I first heard it and when the question came about, should we continue to have that in or should we, that, I mean, I think Deb would agree with this. I suddenly felt, well, I, we would be we would be missing it if it weren't there now. Mm-hmm. I felt that it's ab- it's and and it, talk about your given circumstances. The number twelve being the counts, the points that she made. It was introduced very early on that that was one of her OCD issues, one of her one of her countings, one of her needs yeah. for control. Uh, and it so it was, it was it almost seemed like if you took it out, that theme would not have its end. It would be sort of like taking the last few measures off of, of uh, a Mozart piece. Well, um, and one of the things that I've been um, thinking about this season, working with playwrights in the digital space, I knew that, uh, that my, my goal is to advocate for the script as the playwright sees it and not to, um, to stand in the way of the playwright's instinct maybe to modify the text to accommodate the given circumstances of the actors who are cast or the Mm -hmm. amount of available rehearsal time, or in this instance, the medium of Zoom. Mm -hmm. And so as I looked at the text and the story and the characters and what, what, Rachel, I understood to be your goal for the piece, it was clear that the monologue needed to be there. And I remember us talking about the limitations of Zoom and how if that were on its feet being staged, we would see the actor pacing to 12 different mm-hmm. points on the sh- on the physical stage mm-hmm. and how movement based it would be and i remember us saying like okay so um tori the actor reading the part just take that energy and put it into this reading and mm-hmm. she did over the course yeah, of time did. she brought that same pacing movement energy into yeah. um the zoom space yeah. and so to your point about getting to mount everest like just imagine what that's going to look like in 3D in a live space when it gets up on its feet. Oh, it'll be so hard to watch mm-hmm. in the best way. Yes. I mean, I think it'll, yeah. You know, even just on Zoom, it was like watching a puma just like pacing physically back uncomfortable. Yes. So, I mean, so much energy and so much pain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it felt like it gave, it felt like it gave Tori a better understanding of who her character was mm-hmm. to get to mm-hmm. chew on those words too. And it was, it was just really vital. Um, so I'm excited to keep working on it. I came away from theater 33 with more questions and ideas. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, with play development, you might kind of polish one little corner and then you're like, Oh, there's a little rough edge. Okay. <laughs> you know, but you're never really done done. Um, but I like that about it. I like to always have um, a, 
a project that's simmering away and I'm excited to take it now to Theater Vertigo in Portland. Oh, so, I work oh, with Vertigo. Oh yeah. Years. I've been around for 20, 25 years now. Lovely, lovely. Very yeah. first show there. And um, kind of fun full circle moment, uh, the woman playing Mary was my acting teacher in college. The so, woman that, Raisa, that just played it? No, um, Kathleen Worley. Oh, uh, so, gotcha. The one that will yeah, be at Vertigo. Yeah, in Portland. So uh, she, you know, she saw my name as uh, the playwright on the play, but just submitted her her stuff and she was I'm cast. serious. There's only 300 people in theater across the whole, the whole country. I mean, and we seem to all know, run into each other and everybody else is just there for the cast party and you never see them. Yeah. Again. Well, in particular, I think in the Pacific Northwest, there is, you know, there, that it's an, it's a microcosm even smaller than that. And, you know, uh, like Raisa and I work together in our day jobs, which is so uh -huh. fun. Uh -huh. Rachel and I know each other from our day jobs as well. Rachel's former career as a, as a dancer and a choreographer. And so just to have that kind of come full circle, it's one of the, like, Theater 33 feels like a really intimate home to come to because mm -hmm. many of these um, people who are involved in the artistic side um, and, and the production side of it know each other from other spaces and can bring the, those given circumstances, again, of their relationships to build the trust. So even though... We we have a really concentrated rehearsal period. Um, many times there are uh, pre-established positive relationships that mm -hmm. allow it to start um, further than it would if we were all coming in cold. Oh, I couldn't believe how quickly we all bonded. I mean, it was just amazing. <laughs> you know, and maybe that's partially operary knowledge and having some base. I really appreciated, Deb, that we connected earlier than the rehearsals began. And um, mm -hmm. it was nice to have a couple of conversations with you just about, like you said, what do you want to get out of this process? What do you, how can we move, you know, what do you need for your play? And mm -hmm. um, kind of having my goals in the, in the room as a writer feels pretty neat because um, yeah. we do put a lot of energy into, I think, especially now, um, with there being such high competition for opportunities, mm -hmm. you know, the sense of how do I take what I'm doing and, and shape it in such a way that it'll be more palatable yeah. um, and acceptable. But I feel like a little play like Winbury Creek, oh, what did an audience member, bless their heart, they called it um, Tennessee Williams. Oh, what was it? Ten Tennessee Williams meets Gilmore Girls. And yes, I thought, and then, yes. Perfect. that's Perfect. the best thing I've ever heard. Uh -huh. And I thought, yeah, you know, we need that. I mean, there have been a lot of um, American dramas, but not as many about women. Right. And women uh -huh. um, have a lot to say. And women have a lot of kind of universal experiences that uh, I don't think have been written about as much in this sort of dramatic mm -hmm. fashion. So, um, yeah. Another I, reason for me to not, be the uber puppet master in the rehearsal that we were you at. were outnumbered uh on the on the gender scale Absolutely. there Steve. so and yeah. and and i was very encouraging <laughs> of allowing that kind of conversation to foster itself i mean that you, yeah. you know i don't i don't think i'm a mansplainer but i but if i speak too much i will so it's good to just listen sometimes yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and well, it's interesting. Oh, you, you had a question. Go ahead. Oh, I was I was gonna um, I was gonna share when we we're talking about the 
given circumstances of a kind of interesting interplay that happened with that last act. Hmm. Uh, well, excuse me, the last scene of the last act, actually. Um, and that is the only one that happens outside of the cabin. Hmm. I remember um, when we started, you know, we had all read a, a draft from December. And as had been noted, uh, not many people had got, not everyone had gotten the most updated version. So when they entered, there was a there was a new piece that was a part of it, which were some letters. And after the the actors read that, one of their first not only did they respond to it, but one of the first things they said is, "Oh, now that I know that these letters are here, I'm going to have to add that to my my character before I come on stage." or start reading the next time. Because that's mm -hmm. a new piece that I knew about before it started. Well, almost as soon as they had that chance, we got to that last act and suddenly we discovered that there is a different writer to the letters than there were in the next draft. Mm -hmm. And so once again, mm -hmm. that was that was the uh, middle character, Kate, the, the mother, mm -hmm. who suddenly said, oh, I now have lived, I've lived about, six, seven, eight years of my life knowing that I've been writing some letters and attributing them to someone else, this is going to make a big difference the next time I start the show off. Yeah. And yeah. luckily you gave her a break because the next time we went through, <laughs> um, Emma got to reveal some of the uh, childhood not happy moments that she went mm -hmm. through that she had to incorporate into. So it became a... Um, it became a, an interesting, um, I don't want to call it a tennis match because it wasn't really a competition. It was, no. again, it was that Petri dish. How are the organisms going to yeah. react? It's a and dance, Steve. Rachel's a, a choreographer dance. and a dancer. And you, just, <laughs> Rachel, when you were talking about your writing style being like short sentences, I see it as um, like these intersecting whirlpools, right? Mm -hmm. Each of the characters is kind of in their own whirlpool and then the other one comes over and they in, they mix and interplay as the story moves along and so Stephen hearing you describe it that way like that's a little bit how the rehearsal process unfolded as well just kind of like swirling back mm -hmm. on itself but always mm -hmm. moving forward yeah it's that sense of um trusting improvisation as sort of the bedrock of finding new possibilities and really believing that um I mean, the strength of these performers and their capacity to try uh, could just carry us so far. So it's really exciting to have pages and have people, I mean, what could be better? What could be better for a writer than to say, I made this thing, can we try it? Can we read it and see how it goes? You know, and as I'm listening, I'm, 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 I've got my draft and I'm scratching out an extra that, or I'm scratching That's out, a, you know, a little added in, or I'm, 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 I'm editing out extraneous fluff because you could always again, do what Samuel Beckett did he would take it from the English that he wrote it in translate it into French and then yeah. back into English and that gave idea. him his conciseness yes well that's he how you get a that. voice like Beckett right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right I don't know it's that's just not really, Tennessee Williams meets the yeah, yeah it's just really interesting to to tap into the rhythm that the that the actors are able to do um, to, you know, in terms of the, the, the idea of a dance that you suggested, Deb, I mean, I, I do think that when you're really collaborating, you, you are all um, 
it sounds hokey, but you really are all working together. Mm. And I feel like the structure within Winbury Creek plays with rhythm, plays with the moments of kind of gravitas and profundo and then light, 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 you know, hopefully giving you enough humor to kind of allow someone listening to keep coming back to the well where things are harder. Um, that's my hope. And I think if it were fully produced, I feel like we would get to develop those moments. What do you think? I mean, do you feel like if it's on its feet, it'll be, um, I mean, I felt those moments just in Zoom and in a reading, but what do you see when you imagine this as a full production, Stephen? Well, I, by the time we were done, I was aching to actually have something going on because one of the things that we never truly got to do um, was with the activities that were mm -hmm. going on. I mean, we talked about the action and what people want and we're driving toward, but in this house, they start right away cooking mm -hmm. and there's chopping mm -hmm. and there's so, and there's, there's a fire that is made in the fireplace and there's pounding on the walls. But I mean, we, I, I, I directed Virginia Wolf, and that would be nothing if we didn't have people crossing over to the bar every mm -hmm. three minutes. I mm -hmm. mean, well, I would say it would be nothing, but it's a very, it's just a different organism. Yeah, so, the crossing to the bar is key. Yeah. Right. And so there's a lot have, of flutzing in Winbury Creek that we didn't get to do. Like when she's rearranging the kitchen. You know, yeah. you oh, this is all... a silly place to put the pots and pans and like pull right. this out. And... Right. right. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah, and even when they're deciding to work on chopping vegetables, as opposed to talk to the conversation that's really going on, right. um, mm -hmm. even discovering this was an amazing discovery. The, the actress who played Kate, the OCD person, uh, went for a while talking about how wonderful it was that there was the moment in which she realized that she had forgotten carrots mm -hmm. and how can a person who is that organized actually forget carrots and that's something that would be very interesting to see when you don't find the carrots like the realization that there's no carrots in the food just like ah right well, i feel what, like that like those whirlpools and those intersecting circles that are present in the dialogue could be so informative for the way that it's staged because there's so mm -hmm. many instances in your writing, Rachel, where two characters are speaking to each other but having completely different conversations. <laughs> and that chopping the vegetables that Steven's alluding to, like there's one character who's like, I gotta get the dinner, but mom, put the magazine down. But oh, I forgot the carrot. So mm -hmm. there's multiple conversations happening and multiple actions happening. And it's just gonna be so visually stimulating. And then those moments when we ground because there's an emotional um, truth being revealed, like the pace is just like the energy is all going to come to that moment and it's going to be really powerful. Yeah, I, I, I can feel it. I can see it. I can't wait. But this um, experience of doing the Zoom reading was just so motivating. It was like fuel for a writer, you know, it was fuel for me to move forward, to come into the, to come into the script with, with one idea and make discoveries with all of you that catapult to the next place is such a gift. And you didn't come in and tell me, Deb, one of my goals is to really give Emma a backstory and explore her past traumas. Like that was not what you came to this process with, but right. through the process, 
you revealed that this character had so much more in her experience than you knew before. Right. I found it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the, that might be kind of weird for, for folks who are not playwrights to hear, but <laughs> really is a discovery process. I mean, I think that's awesome if there are people who are so organized with their writing that they know everything from start to finish, exactly how everything's going to play out. But I'm more organic than that. And I am inside out. And what I love is realizing down the road, oh, this is why they did that. And, you know, it was all there kind of underneath the surface, but then it just has to be revealed. It's the metaphor of the sculptor that stares for weeks at the block of stone so that he can find out what image is inside of it, as opposed to, I will make this into David from the Bible. He waits to see what is going to, what what is there, and then just gets away in order to reveal it. And just chisel away until you find out what's Uh there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that monologue that we added for Emma, that reveal, it's not, you know, it was there all along. You know, it just had to come up to the surface. Mm-hmm. It was subtext for her, but mm-hmm. she had to have her moment to really show why she was in so much pain. Rachel, had you had that, though, in your head? Like, did you... Did you know before you came into this process that Emma was carrying that guilt of thinking that it was her fault? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think that's why she's so helpless and stifled. So that, yeah. So that subtext was there in your head as you were writing and then this process allowed it to To come to the surface and be articulated. Yeah. Yeah. So that she would have, and again, hats off to Maya for being, so fierce and Mm -hmm. uh strong because i knew she could handle it Mm -hmm. i mean i handed her like a screecher i handed her a real beast of a monologue and she just was like knocked it out of the park yeah it's amazing uh there was a a woman alan asimova who was a turn of the century um artist she said actors are the strangest things we put our we go every day and put ourselves through the worst things that anyone can ever imagine. And sometimes we even end up dying. <laughs> and then we go to sleep looking forward to doing it again. <laughs> I know. Amazing. Whereas I, as a playwright, I'm, I'm nervous if I have to do anything live at all. I would rather just sit at my computer and write. But That's this why I call not- myself an enabler. As a oh, okay. sometimes for yeah sure. no this has just been a treat and um i i'm just so appreciative of the opportunity what happens next to winbury creek i know theater 33 is looking at the possibility of uh, working you know once we get into 3d mode again um into uh, putting it on its feet that's a possibility that would be um, yeah we, uh, as the and um what are where are there plans for Winbury Creek in the near future that you Well, have? it'll have this development opportunity a couple of weeks at Theater Vertigo up in Portland in August. So um, I can let you all know when that reading will be. We haven't set a date for when the reading is happening yet. Um, it has been selected as a semi-finalist for a couple of nice bigger opportunities, na- national opportunities. Um, I can't say what, because I, I'm a lady. <laughs> But if it lands one of those, I'll let you know. Or if it's let go for one of those, I'll let you know. But uh, those are those are nice opportunities as well. So I continue to ship it out, and I, you know, I keep shipping out the newest draft. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I just keep walking forward through doors, and 
I, I love the drafts from the past, but I always keep thinking, well, this is just moving closer to where it needs to be. It keeps moving closer to, um, closer to finding its light. And I really believe that this play will get up on its feet on stage. And I can't wait to see it on the boards. And I can't wait to see all of you in real life. And we have to go out and eat French fries after. French fries. Right. <laughs> Not having a cast party is a strange thing from the show. It feels unfinished a little bit. I, it, I didn't always, um, when I was an actor and younger, I didn't always understand what an important ritual that was to sort of close yeah. and say goodbye to the, the show that is over. Um, and so we I all, we, for those of listeners that weren't on the reading last week, uh, we all pledged that what we really needed was to share a big giant plate of French fries together. So there's some happen. IOUs. It'll happen. It'll happen. I know we, we we'll make it happen. Well, Rachel, do let us know, um, what, you know, as the prizes may be happening and, and things do, uh, do let theater 33 know theater 33.org is where we can post the, um, updates to any of the plays that we're working with. And, um, I mean, there have been there have been some plays that have won some really big awards. So uh, we want we want right. we want yours to be one of those two. Okay, uh, I'll do what I can. Fingers <laughs> no crossed. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> it's out of my hands at this point. It's in readers' hands. So <laughs> this has been way like. delightful. Um, again, uh, uh, we, we were speaking with uh, Rachel Carnes, who is the playwright for Winbury Creek. Deb Vaughn, who is the resident dramaturg at Theater Thirty Three, and I'm Stephen Alexander, who is the director and moderator for this podcast um uh we uh we uh invite you to listen to any of the other podcasts that are uh coming forward on theater 33 um like subscribe share tell everybody that you know that there is theater happening that you can watch in your own home until we can all join again together in the sanctuary of the theater uh, thanks so much and goodbye to you all thank you have a great one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.